Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast. Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie rules and the Mighty Bombers. From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you. Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the pod. pod. Welcome to episode 72 of the Essendon People podcast to discuss the 2023 preseason. Brendan, I have to ask off the top how you've been. It's It's been five months since we've recorded episodes. There's been a bit of a gap in between and we're back. Yes, we are back and looking ex- uh, excited and looking forward to the season ahead. Um, it's good to have a little break there. We had some stuff going on there, so we couldn't get to record there. But um, yeah, looking forward to it. How are you? Yeah, good. There's, uh, I guess, to uh, clear it up for anyone that does listen and and um, tunes in. Um, I suppose, yeah, as you said, there've been some things going on, and uh, we always like recording the podcast, and that that remains, I guess, the same as previous. It's a great opportunity for us to catch up and talk bombers and have a chat and uh, put our thoughts out to anyone who wants to listen to our ramblings. But uh, yeah, in between time, we've had we've each had COVID. There's been family emergencies, uh, my house got flooded, um, I changed jobs, you've had things to tend to as well and been on holidays and all sorts of stuff's been happening. So, um, but we've, we're back into our normal routine now and looking forward to getting back into these episodes on a weekly basis uh, pretty well from here on out, isn't it? Yeah, and um, it'd be good to see. We've had a lot of changes in the, in the off-season. There's a good kind of talk about that and kind of recess. It's kind of a nice cruisy episode there to kind of touch touch base uh, and then, um, yeah, see how we go. All right, well, let's get into it. I guess we start off with, I guess, a bit of housekeeping from the very end of last year and, and since our last recording uh, of, of the episode uh, previous to this is back in September. So the Crichton medal versus the famous Heath Hocking medal of the Essendon People podcast. Just take us through how that compared. Uh, obviously, everyone knows Peter Wright won the Crichton medal. Who took home the Heath Hocking medal? Yeah, so it was, uh, it was Zachy Merritt there. He was uh, obviously had a bit of a bit of a slow start to the year, but I think in the second half of the year, he pretty much polled eight or more votes every week for like a 10-week period and just came storming home there. And then... Um, Redmond was second. I think we, we both agree. We were a bit shocked when when Redmond only finished fourth in the Crichton. We'd have thought, geez, he was he was stiff not to win it. And then Pete was third in the Heath Hocking. And then we've got young fella, Nick Martin, who's pretty much had a pretty con- strong, consistent year the whole way through. And then Dylan Shield, fifth. I think uh, that might, might shock some, but considering the start of the year, but kind of like Merritt, got going in the second half of the year and I think was one of the dominant clearance players in the competition. Yeah, so um, I guess going through the list, we we didn't have any position that fell exactly the same as the Crichton, but for the most part, the top 10 was fairly similar, just in, in different orders there. Uh, McGrath, I guess, in the, Crichton, in the Crichton came in 10th. We didn't have McGrath in our top 10 after all the boats got tallied up. Um, we had BZT in at number seven, and he didn't feature in the top ten of the Crichton. 
And uh, similar, we had um, Dry Caldwell snuck in at 10 and he didn't feature in the top 10 of the Crichton. So um, pretty similar with the votes. I guess, the as you said, the biggest surprise was probably at the top end there. Um, you know, I, I guess we had Merritt and Wright sort of roughly in the in the right area compared to the Crichton, but uh, Redmond was probably the one that stood out to us. So uh, look forward to tallying up the votes again this season and hopefully it's harder to get a vote because everyone's sort of uh, pulling their weight. I remember a number of games last year where it was pretty hard to give out five votes because it was <laughs> such was the insipid performances sometimes that were dished up. So we're looking forward to moving on from that. So let's move into the trade period. Um, where we picked up. We weren't obviously very active in the trade period. I think we sort of have been, you know, most years over the last five or six years and uh, probably with a, a targeting a bit of youth more recently, we weren't very active in the trade period. Well, I would also say uh, we probably weren't active this period because we were a rabble. <laughs> we, uh, we didn't even have a coach for the most part of it. Uh, and then, yeah, what was going on? Off field, which we'll talk about later with some board and CEO stuff. It was just, uh, yeah, a cluster. <laughs> uh, the term destination club gets thrown around a bit, but we were the furthest thing from a destination club. Is, uh, the closest thing we got to being linked with the word destination was that the, the hangar's kind of near the airport and you you go past it to go to another destination. But otherwise, we were nowhere near being being linked as anyone really wanting to come to us uh, unless they were, you know, sort of out of favour at their own club, which probably leads us into who we picked up in the trade period. Yeah, so we brought in two players there, uh, Will Satterfield and Sam Wiedemann. Obviously, both are top 10 picks from the 2015 National Draft, which is the Parish and Francis Draft. And it's ironic that we bring Satterfield and Wiedemann in and we, uh, we moved on Francis there. So... Setterfield, obviously 24, pick five, played 57 games in his career. He's had a couple of knee issues at GWS and then has been stuck behind some uh, pretty good players like Cripps and Walsh in the guts at Carlton there. But they still managed to play 13 games last year. Big, big body midfielder, 192 centimetres, 86 kilos. I really like what he brings. And I think as a point of difference player in our midfield, if he's played in the midfield, uh, will give us something that we've been desperately lacking. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Adrian Dodoro's had his eye on Will Setterfield for a while, but basically since his draft there in um, 2015. Yeah, that's correct. That probably leads us into the next player there. So Sam Wiedemann, um, anyone who's watched a few Melbourne games will, will know of Sam. He was... Um, Pick nine in the 2015 draft, as you said. So, Sam, I think, kicked four goals against us last year. Um, in I think someone, I can't remember who was out of the side for Melbourne at the time, but he came in and I'm pretty sure he kicked four against us. He might have played on the on the powerhouse duo of uh, James Stewart and uh, BZT when he was uh, when he was struggling at the start of the year, Wiedemann, and he's uh, it's always a bit of a classic recruitment of you. You kick a bag against the side, they think you're a good player. <laughs> so, it'll be interesting to see... There we go. Uh, only played 10 games last year. Played 59 for his career. Um, he's, he's in there, I think, purely to be second tall forward and to and to ruck as well so we can play Pete permanent full forward. And then when Drake needs a rest, in goes weeds into the ruck. 
Yeah, and I think um, it's probably important to set expectations. I guess this is our personal view, but like these guys aren't coming in to be, you know, your X Factor player that takes you, you know, the next step to go through to a grand final or win premiership or something like that. As you said, Wiedemann purely recruited as a role for support for, for Peter Wright down there. He has, hasn't really had the support and we've sort of, you know, through injuries to players like Jones and um, I guess positional changes with people like Stewart and that he's never really had a consistent um, partner in crime up there. So that'll provide a good opportunity for that. And Will Satterfield, uh, you know, since Job left, retired, there really hasn't been that big bodied kind of mid um, who can get in there and uh, do a bit of the grunt work and feed out to, to some of the quicker guys and the more polished guys on the outside. So that, that really fills a role that we're kind of lacking. Yeah, filling the role, but also two players with upside, obviously talent. We look at Peter, Peter in, his, in his draft there and was struggling to get a game at the Gold Coast and we came here and we've managed to develop him into a good player. So if we can do the same, you know, if, if Wiedemann could be half the player that Peter is, that's a pretty good full forward, centre-half forward combo. And then, again, set a field with our smaller mids in Parrish, Merritt, you know, Caldwell, Hobbs, you know, if set a field and Perkins and Langford, you know, Martin, it's starting to, the balance is starting to be a little bit um, better than what it has been. Definitely. We'll move on to the national draft now. So we took four picks in the national draft. Uh, Elijah Sardis at pick five, Lewis Hayes at pick 18, Elwin Davey Jr. at pick 33, and Jaden Davey at pick 36. Uh, so Sardis, good player, midfielder. There was plenty of talent at that top end of the draft, and there was a number of ways it could have panned out. And I think um, having sort of seen a bit of footage of Sardis and, and kind of his background and what he's capable of. Uh, I think I'm pretty pretty happy with that and seems like a, a player with, as you said about the previous couple of players, a lot of upside. Yeah, that's right. Unfortunately, he's, uh, he's hurt his knee there in the pre-season there, but pick five, accumulator, plays on balls, good runner, kind of burst from stoppage player, kind of the guy that we, we kind of need because we've got a lot of blokes that do really well at the clearance, but like a parish handball first out the space Sardis is going to be the guy that receives that handball and, and gets it going forward. Hayes uh, at, at 25, um, it's a big key defender, 199 centimetres. Still got to put a bit of weight on, but in, we'll talk about it a bit later there, Mark, but in a bit of the preseason stuff, he's gone back with a flight a couple of times, really um, strong hands. And obviously with Cody Brand and um, Josh Eyre leaving the club, uh, there's kind of a hole there for the key defensive spot and plus the injury question marks over Reed and Cox. So I think that's a good thing. And then the, the Davy twins there, obviously both very similar. Uh, Alwyn is more a half forward push to the midfield type. Whereas Jaden is more, uh, Jaden's more like his old man. He's classic crumbing player. So, we won't see Jaden this year. He's on the inactive list. He's still recovering from his second knee reconstruction. So I don't think there's any um, any risks they're going to take with him. They see him as a long-term player. So kind of like we did with Kane Baldwin, pick him, bank him for the year, get the knee right, and hopefully uh, he's a long-term player for us. Now when I think he will probably play this year, um, just depends, you know, what role I see. I don't think him playing as a, that traditional small forwards really his go. You'll probably do that 
in his first couple of years, but I think it's going to be more that high half forward, push into the midfield, classy player. That's what we're looking for him to be. Yeah, exciting, exciting players there that we picked up. And I accidentally read out their actual playing numbers on the jumper rather than the pitch. So you've, uh, you've cleared that up, which is good. Um, we'll move on to the rookie draft. So Cat A, rookie, Rhett Montgomery was picked up at uh, pick four there. It's only 22, so he's not not like a mature age or anything like that by, you know, the, the normal stretch. 190 centimetres, so he's pretty tall. Um, plays off half back from all reports. He's a pretty smart footballer of half back. Good hands, good interceptor. And maybe that gives opportunity to, um, you know, help help free up some of the other guys down there to create a little bit more as well. Um uh, yes, got guys like Ridley and that they are quite good at that role. So maybe relieves a little bit of pressure for them to continue being able to do that. And uh, Cat B rookie that we picked up is Anthony Mankara, who a lot of Essendon people will be familiar with that name because he was on our um, in our academy and uh, was playing some pretty exciting football uh, at, at sort of under 18 level through last year and, and the couple of years before that. Uh, so there's some great footage on YouTube of some stuff that he's done and even at training, um, there's some good goals and stuff that he's kicked and some good grabs that he's taken as well. Uh, noticed on some of the social media from the club. Um, he's very much a bit of a raw prospect. And uh, like you said, with Jaden, bit bit uh, different, I guess, in terms of reason why we might not see him. But Makara probably just needs a bit of time to develop and settle in and play a bit of VFL and, and get used to the senior bodies and everything. But He's a very exciting player and uh, and a good prospect. So I think Montgomery likely to you know be able to come in straight away this year if there's an injury or or he's you know killing it in VFL and Mankara. Um, it's going to be exciting to follow his progress hopefully through the VFL and start pushing for a spot. Yeah, so we'll move on to to the coaching changes. Obviously, there we all know uh, Ben Rutten was um, removed as senior coach at the end of the last year and he's replaced by. Brad Scott, he's supported by three very senior assistant coaches there in Dale Tapping, Blake Carousella and Dan- Daniel G in Syracuse. So Tapping's the forwards coach, Carousella's the midfield coach and G in Syracuse is the backline coach. Lee Tudor, who was in development last year, has gone back to being the VFL senior coach, position he's held with us previously. Cam Roberts, who was a development coach, has been uh, promoted to head of development. And then we've obviously invested heavily in the development coaches. So Stance goes from the VFL senior coach to development coach. Hurley officially becomes a development coach, uh, a role he was pretty much doing last year anyway, whilst he was trying to get fit and coming back through the VFL. Uh, Benny Jacobs, uh, the former Port Adelaide and North Melbourne uh, tagger, midfielder has come on. And then big Travis Cloak has come in to be a development coach and also the coach of the BFLW. I really like, Mark, the investment in development. But in particular, if you're just looking at those those four development coaches, Jacob, Stanton, Hurley and Cloak, I think it's a really good balance just looking at the players that they were. You know, if, you, if you're a key defender and you need to, you know, work on some things, you can go to Hurls. If you're a key forward, you can go to Cloak, right? Stanton's obviously going to provide the professionalism, the running to be an offensive midfielder and Jacob's going to provide that defensive mindset in the midfield as he was a pretty pretty good tagger so I think just those balances and the skills that they can play off on one another and you know even if you're a defender 
you can go to Hill and say, how do I become a better defender? Or go to Cloak, how do I, what a forwards don't like? You know, and I think it's a really good balance having those four in there. And obviously Cam Roberts has been in the club for a while there. So him kind of overseeing that development thing, I think is a, a good move. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I like the balance, as you said. Um, the, it, it seems to work. And, and there's some people with some some really well-respected um, histories in the game, you know, more recent and uh, and some further back. So, yeah, the balance is good and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and, and uh, if it makes the side a little bit more settled and understand their roles. So we'll move on to the board. Um, the existing board of, of people who are already there, Dave Barham, everyone knows, um, there was a bit of a, I guess it wasn't a president spill necessarily, but it looked a lot like one. So um, anyway, he's the president and that you know, will play out and, and hopefully he brings some success to the club and and uh, wins everyone over. Dorothy Hisgrove is vice president. Andrew Muir re-elected. Kato Sullivan, Melissa Green and Kevin Sheedy on the board already. New directors, Dean Rioli uh, was appointed, who we all know and love. Andrew Welsh, much the same. And uh, he comes with good football background, obviously, and also really good business background. David Wills, uh, finance director, he's been appointed. And Tim Roberts from the property and construction industry, he's been appointed as well. So, it's probably not much more to say on the board. It's been a, it's been a little bit, um, I guess, unsettled in in recent times in some of the news and stuff. And there's only so much you can read into that because our season had kind of finished, and that was kind of all there was to talk about the Essendon Football Club and sell some more papers and stuff like that. So uh, hopefully it's settled now, and we the less you hear about the board, I guess, the better. Really, um, from a supporter. Uh, perspective, it's something that you really only should or want to be hearing about only a few times a year, kind of thing. So I'm sure they do a great job behind the scenes, but that would be the plan there. Um, CEO wise, what happened there? Oh well, we're gonna we're gonna have a, a multiple podcast just on on that question alone. Yeah, but um, Xavier Campbell left us. Then there was a, an interim period of about 24 hours of Andrew Thorburn. And then we've actually settled on a bloke that we probably should have appointed in the first place in, in Craig Vozzo there. So um, it's obviously a time employee at the West Coast there. It was the GM of footy at West Coast uh, during the, the 2018 Premiership. He's previously been the list manager at West Coast. Uh, before that, he was director at a, at a player management company. And um, most recently, he's been... Senior Corporate Counsel, West Coast Legal and Strategic Policies. So as a CEO, I think that's a pretty good knowledge base to have. We, there's always been this big talk, we're going to focus on footy, we're going to have big investment in footy. Um, not to labour the point too much with, with Thorburn there, but I think it was always odd to us and I think all other SN supporters there, if you... If you're going to have a focus on footy, you probably want someone who's actually working in the football industry. And for Vozzo to be CEO and to have that vast array of different uh, portfolios in his career, the, the GM of footy role, the list manager role, the club strategic role, I think that's a good combination of different skill sets and experiences within football that would make for a strong CEO especially when you got someone like Josh Marnie, Dodoro, you know, experienced footy people, Brad Scott, um, all reporting to him. I think that's uh, 
a pretty good choice and probably should have been done a while ago. The last one we'll wrap up with here before a quick break is the GM of performance, which um, hopefully I don't get us wrong, but I think that's a new role which came out of the review and, and come some of the suggestions out of that. So Daniel McPherson goes into that role, reports directly to Josh Marnie, works with the uh, all, all the coaches at the various levels for development um, and also responsible for medical and fitness. He was previous GM of footy at uh, North Melbourne and was a footy manager at Melbourne when they won their premiership in 2021. So good history. Um, good to see that some of the suggestions out of the review being implemented straight away. And um, good luck to Daniel because he's probably got the toughest job at the club because, um, quite frankly, the performance last year was terrible. So he's, uh, there's now a person who's got their name assigned to that. So um, best of luck for him. I'm sure you'll... I'm sure he'll bring some great ideas and some improvement in that area. So with that, let's go to a break and we'll come back and talk some footy, talk some pre-season and talk some things that we want to see. All right, Brendan, time to talk some footy in the uh, new year now. We've spoken about all the stuff at the end of last year. So um, pre-season, let's go through our most hated topic first, the injuries. So these are all things that occurred during the preseason. Sardis, you've already mentioned, had a meniscus issue with his knee and he's had surgery. And uh, from what I understand, will miss at least the first half of the year. So he wouldn't... Well, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not quite sure about it. I think it was 10 to 12 weeks when he did it. But I think that's several weeks ago now. So I think he might miss the first month, six weeks. And then he will be fit to play, and then you think that he they'll bring him back through the through the VFL there. So we probably won't see him till the first, maybe the halfway point of the year. But I still think he'll be past medically fit to you know get back in the training and stuff like that there. But um, you're not a good sign. Apparently, it was a contact injury during a drill, so can't really do too much about it. They've taken the conservative route to, as you said, go in there and repair it, so it's better than kind of letting it go. I think that might be similar to an injury that Dylan Shield or um, the former number five, Devin Smith, Devin Smith um, had. So, yeah, it'll um kind of unfortunate. He's got Devin's number and he's he copped the same sort of injury. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no luck there. So, yeah, unfortunate for a young man coming in in his um, – First season to, to have that. Uh, seems a good kid, though, so I'm sure he'll he'll um, get his rehab right and get back out there soon. Uh, Nick Cox, this one is a bit concerning. So he's still got a bit of a lingering foot issue, and that's sort of been going on for some time now. I think it was sort of midway through last season that they finally pulled the pin and put him on the long-term injury kind of list and took all the load off him and everything. But... Uh, I guess the whole start of his year last year, he looked pretty lame and, and as if he was sort of struggling, um, which was pretty contrasting to how he was the in his first season the year before. So I'm a little bit concerned about Cox, to be honest. And uh, I guess the other thing is that he's looking pretty lean out on the track too. Like he's, well, he's obviously a tall unit and pretty, pretty lanky. And, you know, Dustin Fletcher looked like that his whole career and look at the career he had. But um yeah, not good to see kind of a, an injury hanging around and uh, while he's keeping off his feet, it doesn't look like he's been pushing a whole lot of iron either. 
Yeah. Well, speaking of blokes that haven't been pushing iron, Zach Reed, uh, back issues, stress fractures. Don't think it's all that serious. I'm more concerned about Cox than I'm about Reed, given where the injury is. I think he's 203 centimetres. You know, when you're that tall, you're going to have issues in your back. Um, I think, you know, Harry McKay, Carlton had back issues at a similar age and look at him now. He's, you know, probably pushing 100 kilos and he's, the, you know, Coleman medalist. So I don't think it's it's too con- – that injury in particular is too concerning. I think more the issue with Reed is that he hasn't really had a crack at it. He had glandular fever. He had, you know, a couple of other injuries there. He just needs a solid run at getting the Ks under the legs and getting in the gym, really. And that's why all these injuries impact you, especially when you're younger players. You can't get that physical development in, which then allows you to actually get, you know, some tactical nous. You know, Reed's going to be our key defender of the future, but he can't learn that if he's getting bullied every week by opponents. He needs to have some size about him to then start to learn because, you, you know, it's like Joe, Joey Danaher when he first started. Once he put the size on, he, he really blossomed because he was able to hold his own in the contest and then impact the game, whereas early on he was just getting pushed off the ball. Yeah, it's um, – yeah, and I guess there's no real time frame from the club uh, on these injuries either. There's been a few updates along the way, but nothing saying sort of how long that will take. I know they keep it pretty close to themselves, but – Stewart's another one with an ongoing foot issue. So we've seen some tall units in the rehab group there with Cox, Reed and Stewart. So again, Stewart, uh, sort of a lingering issue. Jones, we can add to that list as well with an ankle. He's back in full training now, though, which looks promising. And from all accounts, has been going pretty well in some of the match simulation stuff. So hopefully that's the end of the rehab group for um, Harry Jones because he, he lost a fair chunk of... Uh, the last 12 months, you know, sitting out, coming back, not being fit um, and kind of didn't have the best year last year with, with that, I, I felt. So hopefully gets a better run at it and builds some confidence, uh, gets back to back to his earlier um, kind of game style that he was playing. Um, then I'll let you lead on with a couple of calf injuries. Yeah, well, Hobbsy, Guelph and Big Peter. Um Peter's calf was well, something that I think the text went around to every Essen supporter, right calf, six weeks, and everyone's like, oh, no. But I think it's only been a, on the much more minor scale there. He's back in full training. Um, Hobbsy and Guelph have just done calves this week. Um, not great to see a young player like Hobbs do a calf. That's um, generally an injury you get as you get a bit older there. So to be a uh, second-year player with a calf, is, is not great. Um, Wiedemann and Hine have done quads. Um, I think Wiedemann had a quad at Melbourne there, so I think maybe there'll be a, a re-injury of that of that one there, which is not great. Um, Hindy back in full training. Uh, I don't think that will impact him too much given he's a, he's a kind of running player. And then... Um, We'll go. I think the 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 big the one that's probably got the most publicity over the preseason there in uh, Jake Stringer. He's got a he's got a back. He's got a groin. I'm not exactly sure what injury he's got, but um, it's obviously was 
played under duress last year, so hopefully they've got to get him right, especially he's, what, 28. He's probably our top five player at the club. Really need him to be performing and get a full, you know, 20 games out of him this year. Yeah, that one's pretty concerning, isn't it? Because he, he definitely makes a huge difference to our side and a player that, you know, if he got up and going and played most of the year, you know, you could bank on probably 30 to 40 goals, I would have thought, if, he's, if he has a good year. So, a um, bit of a concern. Another one is Tex Wanganine with the ankle. He's had sort of an ankle injury, I guess, since he was recruited and, you know, got over it and then it resurfaced as well. So, um I don't think he's doing a hell of a lot at the moment and uh, it seems like he's a little bit away from full training. So that's, that's a shame for Tex because he's another one who could really do with the development and being out there, uh, you know, as part of that match simulation and all that sort of stuff. Anthony Mankara, who we mentioned as a, a rookie that came in earlier, um, he had a bit of a hamstring issue. So hopefully that's not, a, not too bad of a one because, again, concerning for a young player who plays a very, um, you know, Agility-based, speed-based game. A um, little bit of a concern to have a soft tissue injury like that. And that, that sort of rounds out the injuries that we want to talk about. I guess uh, the thing that you'll notice is that they're essentially all leg injuries. And um, that's something that, you know, Dan McPherson that we just mentioned that's going to be overseeing, you know, sort of a high level should probably be having a chat to Sean Murphy and um, sort of trying to, maybe see if there's anything that's in that. Uh, it just seems like a lot of injuries and a lot of league injuries to have in a preseason. So uh, it's bad enough going into a season of injuries, but you've got to do, you've got to do something to try and stem the flow and improve it. Yeah, the old spongy floors there out of the hangars not doing the, uh, not doing the right thing. Yeah, but like soft – and a lot of them are soft tissue as well. We've got, what, three calves, two quads – Hamming and the and the groin, so obviously you're probably going to football being a running game, you're going to have those sorts of injuries there. But yeah, it's not great to have you know a dozen players have been impacted over the summer there coming into to round one. It's um and some of those there are better players there or guys we're thinking are going to come in and provide good support. So yeah, as you said. Lots of work for Sean Murphy to do. Now, we'll talk about blows who are, who are flying on the track there, Mark. It's always the, the summer specials. And I think the guy every year is always number one on this list is, uh, is Dylan Shield, looking um, prime for a big season. He's a recent father there. So, um, yeah, looking looking in top, Nick, and uh, obviously had a strong end to last year. So hopefully he can carry that through and um, be our uh, be a the prime move that we hoped he was when we brought him in. Yeah, Andy McGrath, by all reports, is going pretty well also, which is important. He's, um, I think last year was really good for him to settle in at halfback and kind of make that, you know, his, his own. Um, obviously, he's had some pretty good times in the midfield as well, but I think if your natural position is off halfback, then just make it your own and, and keep going with it. So more of that from Andy this year, hopefully. Yeah, and the next one we've got here is Big BZT. And I say Big BZT now because he actually looks big. <laughs> I think he's uh, he's been in the, in the gym there and uh, obviously got a lot of confidence with how he, uh, how he finished last year. And uh, there's obviously a spot there as a, as a taller key defender in our back line there. So um, I think he's put the hard yards in and he's uh, been really, really showing some 
some good stuff. But I think he's been playing one on one with uh, with Peter in the in the scratch match stuff. So it's going to be a pretty pretty difficult match up there. But if he can uh, compete with Peter, he's gonna he's gonna do well against most other forwards in the competition, especially those taller players like the King brothers, Harry Mackay, who I mentioned before, like yeah, Tom Lynch. These are the kind of forwards of the now and the future, really. So to um, to really develop that skill against the taller players, to read the play, to be able to run with them, uh, it's a really good sign for us going forward. And, and is a hole that we desperately need filling a tall key defender. Next one down here is Dyson Heppel, the captain. And um, I guess a bit of unnecessary pressure, probably, you know, people commenting on social media and stuff about not only his captaincy, but about his ability to be in the best 22 and, I guess to date he's done everything he can to to prove everyone wrong. I'm sure he's not reading that and doing it for that reason. He's just the the ultimate professional, and that's why he's done it. But he's um, come back in good condition as he always does, and uh, seems to be moving really well at training, um, which is good to see. And hopefully, yeah, Dyson can have a have a good year and find his spot as well. Where you know, if Andy McGrath's going to half back, maybe that means Dyson goes on the wing or spends a bit of time maybe back in the midfield at times to help those guys and provide a bit of experience. So looking forward to seeing how this year plays out for Dice. Yeah, and the final play we've got here is um, it's big Sammy Draper. I think he's uh, he's ready now. He would have played over the 50 games. He's kind of – he's got the rig going. He's got the, he's got the mullet going. He's uh, full of confidence. And I think he's uh, I think he's about ready to really take over the competition there. He's got the um, got the strength. He's got the physicality. got the leap. Leap in the ruck, which I think is a real point of difference. You look at him and you think he'd be a bit of a lumberer, but he actually um quite an athletic player. And I um also think with Wiedemann coming in, there's an option for him to to rest forward and kick some goals for us. And that was something that he did do or did improve in last year was going forward and um being an option for us there. So yeah, um it'd be exciting to see his development as a player and um. I think he's the kind of going to be the guy that's going to be the heart and soul of this team, the the you know the old spiritual leader. So um, yeah, we can get him up and going and uh, breathing some fire. I think he'll take a lot of the players along with him. Definitely. Let's uh, let's take our last break and we're going to come back and go through a bit of a wish list. So, Brendan, something we've really enjoyed doing over the last few years is the Christmas wish list, and we obviously didn't do one this year, but we've got a little mini version of it here. So, without further ado, let's jump into it. I'll let you kick off with one of your items. Yeah, well, one of the items I think we've kind of touched on already, here, and that's the that's the injuries uh, to the to the legs. There, um, we've we've talked about this for for a very long time. There, Mark, going back to the old. Uh, Gumby, Darcy Danaher, Tate Pez, you know, Andrew Lee, even if we go back that far. The uh, yeah, big Courtney Johns. Uh, injuries to legs of, uh, of, in particular, key position players. is something that's plagued us for 25 years. So, um, geez, you hope they, they get it right. And then just the accurate reporting of these injuries, like, when they've got it, how long they're going to be out, providing updates as to when there's a noteworthy development. You know, like we talked there about, you know, 
guys are they're back in the full training or something like that, you know. Just give a quick little update. You, you compare it to other sports like in NBA, NFL, like they have to do daily media reports. And as soon as there's an update, they have to inform the NFL and then the media in general of what the update is. Now, I'm not saying go down that path because that's, I think, I think a little, bit, a little bit over the top. But just from where they are and where we are, it's just not – like, have you heard it about James Stewart's injury? <laughs> no, no, nothing. Same as Mankara. Like, you know, you just hear it sort of through the grapevine. I guess the other message is, is that fans, supporters, members, we just want to be kept informed a little bit more than what we do at the moment. Oh, and how hard is it? You have a list, you update the list, you hit enter, it goes on some Twitter or you know, think on Twitter, it can just be on a page on the website. You know, you know, Dan McPherson doesn't need to come out and make a statement every single time there's some little thing, but someone every day before they go home hits, <laughs> hits enter and updates it. I think it's yeah, it's not that hard of a, or big of a request to make. What do you reckon, Mark? What's your yeah. first? No, that's a good, good point to start us off. I'll jump into my first one. It's pretty simple. I just want a team that shows effort for four quarters. And potentially that's a little bit unrealistic because we're not going to see four-quarter effort across every game for 23 seasons across the whole se- across the whole year. But th- there was too many times last year where we didn't see effort either at all in games or for only like one quarter or something like that. So um, we need to see effort throughout the whole game and it, it needs to be really visible. There was nothing more frustrating than going to games last year when you were just watching either the whole team or players in particular just simply not try, and uh, it's quite frankly not good enough. So I'm sure that Brad Scott's going to have a big say in that, and we hopefully see that uh, a little bit less than what, what we did last year. So that's my number number one on the wish list. Yeah, so my, my next one is the, um, the game plan. I think it's been quite interesting and probably a smart move by Brad Scott. He was, he's been asked a number of times, What's the game plan? What are you looking to implement? Give some talk to the structures. What's your philosophy? That's those sorts of questions. And he's gone with, you know, he's going to play players in their best position, which <laughs> shock horror. <laughs> oh, geez, real, real Einstein to figure that one out. And um, but also constructing a game plan that um, utilizes the strengths of the players as individuals and as a whole. And that's as opposed to what we've had previously with coming in with a set, this is the game plan, then we're going to kind of force players to play roles that they're probably not suited to or doesn't get the best out of them. So I really like the idea that you pick your best players, you see what, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and you play to their strengths. Uh, you, ha- you might have a philosophy about in this situation we do this, in this situation we do that. But, you know, if you've got big key forwards, get it in there quick. Right? If you've got lots of fast runners, let's, you know, move it by move it by hand. You know, if you've got a good kicking team, let's use it by foot. You know, those sorts of things, So, which I, I really like. And we're not so focused on handball, 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 or, you know, we're going to stand here, do that, or we're going to be a, a blue-collar side and give no effort. Right? So, yeah, just interesting to see. Even if just the messaging thing, they've got they've got the messaging right. 
So I'm interested to see what actually comes of that. Good one. My next one is that Brad Scott shows some emotion during games and at press conferences, etc. Interviews. Um, you know, I'm not going to. I'm not. It's not a dig at Brad or anything. Obviously, he's only just started, and I'm, I'm sure he's going to do great things. But I guess we've just come off a worse fold and um, rotten era, and they were pretty passive guys who um, probably had a bit more of a new age approach and a bit of a softer approach. And I think Brad's going to be good to shake it up, and I wouldn't mind seeing that a little bit. It's something that you know people and coaches and players and stuff at press conferences and stuff now and when they're on the TV uh, at games are normally pretty reserved and play the line and come out with the cliches and stuff like that. And I'm looking forward to seeing a little bit of raw emotion from Brad. I'm sure there's going to be a little bit of a frustrating journey at times with a young side and at a big club um, that has, you know, a lot of expectations from supporters and stuff. And I'm sure he's going to probably get frustrated and, to be honest, I'm looking forward to seeing that because it's it's a good indication that he cares and that he's invested. So um, I fully back him, Brad, and I'm happy with the decision of him as coach and keen to see that. Yeah, so my one is I want to see the structural pieces that we've brought in in Wiedemann and Setterfield that we mentioned earlier. They're both mature age players that have been brought in to fill holes in the 22. Um, I think... I think the Doro said last year with, with Gary McDonough, you don't bring in a 25-year-old just to play in the VFL. And fortunately for Gary, he uh, didn't make a senior debut. So hopefully that uh, isn't uh, the same position we'll find with Wiedemann and Setterfield. Uh, but, yeah, I think those two in particular, I like the recruitments. I want to see them in the side um, because of what they'll do, not just as players, but to the structure. We need a big body mid in the midfield. We need a second key forward, right? Having two key forwards at all times is really going to help us because, you know, previously we've had to send Peter in the ruck and then you've got 18-year-old Harry Jones and Perko as your full forward and centre-half forward. It's not it's not really going to get the job done. So, um, you're starting to build those pieces that we can um, maybe have a bit of success into the future. My next one here is pretty simple again. It's that Tipper plays senior football with a smile on his face and that doesn't mean that he plays 23 games of senior football. I think I think if Anthony McDonald Tipper already plays three games of senior football, then I'll call that a success to come back from. You know, it seemed like he was in a pretty dark place and pretty down and um, I guess to to have the motivation to come back and um, and for those who brought him back to the club, um, I think it'd be good just to see him even get back to senior level once, to be honest, and to do it with a smile on his face and to, to make fans stand up out of their seat would be pretty special to watch again. And um, and I, th- I guess we'd all be pretty grateful for that opportunity. So um, even if it's just at VFL level, it's going to be good to see him out there. But, yeah, that, that's my wish list to see Tipper play senior footy with a smile on his face. Yeah, so oh, we kind of we talked it earlier, Mark, about how we've kind of maybe traded out some picks. You know, brought in mature players over the past five to six years, and that has kind of led us looking to recruit through alternative means, principally the SSP and the mid-season draft. And uh, I think we agree we've we've picked up some pretty good selections in in recent years, and with the uh, investment in development in the coaches that we've we talked about earlier. I really want to see those players to be backed in and grow because they're 
they're coming in at different points. So blokes like Massimo and Jai Menzi, right, they're only – they'll be in their second year, but it's really only a year in because they came in halfway through last year. Uh, Ricky Mountain and um, Tex Wanganine, all you know, SSP players. They've had a full season. What can they do in their second year? You know, we had we had Martin in our um in our top five in the in the heat hockey. You know, Kane Baldwin is a is a guy that's got a lot of talent there. Was kind of in and out of the side last year, which I thought was a bit harsh on a young player, especially playing key forward in a side with a midfield that wasn't always getting it in there as easily as you like. What can he do at VFL level? Can he push in to get a senior spot? I think there's talked about Wiedemann. I think, you know, there's a third tall forward spot. You know, if Wiedemann doesn't do the job, maybe a Baldwin or, or a Patrick Voss can actually step up through solid performances in the VFL and be that player for us. And then Sammy Durham, I he's in my best 22. I, I think he's probably in yours as well, eh, Mark? Really like what he brings. We've got to... You've got to keep him giving him games, playing him to his strengths, you know. We talked before about, you know, Andy McGrath going back. Where does that leave someone like Dyson Heppel, you know? Well, I would think that Durham and Heppel are probably playing for the same position at times in the side, you know. Do we invest in Durham's development over Heppel or do we look to play Heppel in a role that he's probably not, best suited at, maybe he has to go play forward so Durham can play his best position on a wing, you know, that sort of thing. I really want to see the prioritisation of youth and the development of those young players that we've brought in. My next point goes along a similar theme. So it's it's about young guns taking the next step. We've got Perkins, Cox and Reed going into their third seasons now. Uh, we've got Harry Jones and Nick Bryan going into their fourth seasons, Jai Caldwell going into his fifth season of AFL. Um, they're the sort of guys that I'm talking about taking the next step. They've got they've got that little bit of experience that you get in your first couple of years and then you can really have, you know, what commonly gets called the breakout year, uh, I guess. So looking for that from a few of those guys. Is it going to happen for all of them? Probably not because, you know, injuries and things play a part as well and, and uh, just selection, you know, someone like Brian needs to force his way into the side or get an opportunity. So, um, yeah, really, really keen for that. Perkins, by all accounts, has come back in really good shape and uh, is spending a lot of time in the midfield in the match sim. And I think Brad Scott's already indicated that he's going to spend time in the midfield, which is which is great to see. We started to see him attend a lot more centre bounces in the second half of last year, and um, he held up his own and he did really well. And he's potentially a pretty special player. Um, Cox and Reed, we know what they're like. So um, just as you said earlier, just need to get games into them. Harry Jones, I thought he was really good in his first year, struggled in his second year. Hopefully second year blues out of the way and he, and he can step up. Um, and Colbell had, had a pretty good year last year. And if you can build on that again, then go to another level, then that's when everyone sort of starts talking about him and, and recognising him outside of the, the red and black walls, I suppose. So, um, yeah, the young guns to step up is uh, my item there. Yep, so I'll kind of kind of good segue in that. These guys are are no longer young guns and they've already had their breakout years, but they've got to become better players. Like, you know, Draper, McGrath, Ridley are all twenty four. Redmond is twenty five. 
Langford is 26. Like, Draper, McGrath, Ridley, Redmond, there's no reason why those four players couldn't be in All-Australian this year. You know, Andy going back to his to the back pocket or half-back where he started his career, that's, I think, we all agreed that's his best role. It looks like that's always been his best role. He was drafted number one at that role and we've played him in the midfield. I understand why we did it, but he's now back there. It's the old, you know, Heath Shaw. Would you rather a, a good to very good midfielder or would you rather an all-Australian back pocket? You know, half-back. Uh, Jordan Ridley, same thing. I think we all agree at his best. He's probably one of, if not the best, intercepting defenders in the competition. I want to see him be that. You know, Draper we talked about earlier, but a guy ready to go physically can really have a real breakout and dominate the ruck. Redmond had a his breakout year last year. Now this is the year where he consolidates that. And Langers, I think probably... Two years ago, he really stepped it up. He had an injury-plagued year last year. Couldn't get any consistency with his body. I think hopefully he's had a, had a big preseason and a spot there. Whether it's on the wing or whether it's at half forward as that hit-up player, he's strong overhead, he's a good kick, got a good aerobic base. Um, if you know someone like Stringer's maybe not at his not at his peak fitness, maybe Lang- Langers has to take the role that. Jakey was playing in terms of being a big body, going in the centre bounces, bursting out, kicking it, in, kicking it inside 50. And then hopefully Jakey's down there gobbling them up, kicking snags. So really want to see those guys who essentially are – they're not the young players, they're not the old players. They are the players. They are the core of the team that everything else gets built around. It's on them now to be that, and I want to see that happen. My next one here is that I want to see an unexpected player make a name for himself. So I've picked Jai Menzi uh, in this one. He's, he's had a really good preseason as well from all accounts. And as you said, he only came in midway through last year. So this is his first full preseason and he seems to have really embraced it. Um, seems to be going well. You know, is he going to be the sort of player who bobs up and kicks 30 goals? No, I don't think so because I think he's a defensive kind of small forward guy that plays a role. Um, but in a few glimpses that we got last year and and uh, just looking at his work, I think at training, he seems the sort of guy who could fulfil that wish list for me and uh, and step up. And does that many plays every game? No, it doesn't. I think uh, you know if Jai managed to get himself into the side and then um, you know make it pretty hard for them to not select him, and he played eight to ten games, whether that's in the back half of the year or through the middle of the year or whatever it is, I think that that would be for him um, a pretty pretty big effort. So. Uh, yeah, that's what that's what I'm looking for, and I'm I'm going to back in. Uh, yeah, Menzies to to get that done. I'll just piggyback on on your one here, Mark, because I really like this question, and we could probably do a whole podcast on this. <laughs> My guy, I want to be an unexpected player to make a name for himself is Patrick Voss. Right, I want to see him come in, knock a lot of people on their backside. Right. Almost Paddy Ambrose styles. When he first came in, big, strong body, physical, tacked the ball, you know, Brad Hill still picking himself up out of the MCG <laughs> from the day he absolutely squashed him. And actually, um, you know, make people afraid that he's in there. We For so long, we've lacked that physicality that, you know, not necessarily to say hard man is going to whack blokes, but blokes who put their head over the ball and throw their weight around. And for a guy that's, you know, 
195 centimetres or whatever he is. For him to, to do that, it really is we've, a role we've missed since, since Paddy Ambrose, who can kind of do a job but also is in there for his attack on the ball. Yeah, that that's a good one. I like that. He's uh, he's he's a bit of a fan favourite, Paddy Boss, and yeah, be be good to watch him. He seems like he's uh, potentially got a bit of forward craft about him as well. So um, yeah, not afraid to hit a contest, which is which is good to see. Um, I'll launch into my last one here, and that is to beat some rivals who we've recently struggled against. And I guess that's the likes of you know Richmond. I don't think we've beat ten years, something like that. Um, Carlton, I think, recently have had the wood over us a little bit, but maybe, you know, to a lesser extent than Richmond. Melbourne, I, I feel like it's a team that we've sort of struggled a little bit against recently. I mean, some of these clubs are good clubs. You know, Richmond and Melbourne obviously been up there recently, but I think it's important to beat your rivals and to and to beat other big Victorian clubs. Um, you know, Collingwood, I think we go not too bad against uh, in recent history. Obviously, last year uh, they got us, but um, I think it's important to invest big into those games. And I guess we get an opportunity in round one against Hawthorne. So um, that's no better time to do it than, than straight off uh, first game of the year. And I, I believe it might be a, a history sort of celebration game for them as well. Is that correct? Oh, I don't particularly pay too much attention <laughs> to what Hawthorne does, but if, <laughs> if it is, it'll be good just to uh, rub it in their face with a big fat loss. Yeah. And I'll... I'll um. <laughs> I'll get on to my last one there. And it's kind of a a trend you'll see with my ones there. We've gone from young players to players who are the now to blokes who are the senior players, who are, who are the stars. Your Dylan Shields, your Zach Merritt, Darcy Paris, Jake Stringers. All those blokes have been previously All-Australian. Uh, I don't see any reason why they can't be at that level again. Shield, we talked about being in, in great nick and hopefully having a bit of confidence from for last year, maybe maybe having the child was kind of, you know, the focus not on football all the time. You kind of, for some players, that actually makes you play better football there. Uh, Zach Merritt will hopefully be the captain and he can be the guy that kind of leads us out of this period. Um, Darcy Parrish, obviously quality player, had some injury to an ankle last year, which kind of impacted his ability a little bit there. He's... um. He's got a big year for him. He's out of contract there. So he'll be wanting to put in a big performance. And obviously, Jakey Stringer hopefully looked to shut up a few of the Muppets in the media. Uh, they have constantly have a crack at him. So it'll be uh, good to see him play well. I think Brad Scott saying he's going to play, you know, permanent forward. I think it's a really good sign for him. We kind of... It's always been the catch-22. We've needed him to go in the middle to win the ball, but then he's not there to kick it to. And then when he's there to kick it to, no one can get it to him. So, you know, mentioned it a couple of times. Setterfield coming in fills that role. Perko, you know, is potentially going to have a, a big year. Jai Corwell, I think, really had a good year last year. Did a couple of good jobs defensively as well as winning his own pill. Did the hard stuff. So I think... Time for Jakey to be go back to being the um a goal kicking machine that he has been. Yeah, and no, I like that line, and um, yeah, I like the theme that you went with from young to established to uh, experienced, which is good. So that rounds out this episode, Brendan. It's good to be back, and I guess we'll uh, we'll be back into it regularly now. I think talking to each other, we've 
probably going to drop a few of the segments that we did for the 150th year celebration last year, which is uh, Bombers numbers and, and the like. So um, Don's DNA. Don's DNA as well. So um, they will disappear now that, that that commemorative season's over. And I think fair to say we'll probably just focus more on talking footy and just having a chat and anyone who wants to listen to those ramblings can feel free to do so. <laughs> That's it. We're going to try and um, make, I think last year we kind of bit off a bit more than we could choose. Lots of stats and all that type of stuff. I think like we've kind of had here with our wish list there, but just a bit more of a, of a chit chat. And as you would do when you're at the footy or, you know, talking, you know, over a few beers or something like that, just kind of, We've been enjoying it a bit more. Stop trying to. There's lots of other podcasts to do that. I know if people are really interested in the stat, I, I highly recommend the podcast Don the Stat. It's an Essendon podcast to focus on the stats. I think those guys do an absolutely fantastic job, and I really recommend um, you tune in and listen to them. Uh, it's certainly a podcast that I listen to, and I really enjoy it. But um, yeah, I think we're just going to go a bit more bit more cash <laughs> than what we have been in the past. Not to say we're going to ignore it completely, but just a bit more natural flow, I think. Yeah, and um, I guess on that, if anyone listening has any suggestions or um, things that you think would be good to listen to or to incorporate into the podcast, feel free to send them through um, via social media, Facebook and Instagram, and we'll look at incorporating those. I think that's it, Brendan. Go Dons. Go Bombers.